in the world is Malachi. Go to Matthew and then go backwards. Uh, the easiest way to get there. Uh, Malachi chapter 1 today. Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to put these over here so you don't have to listen to me sniffle all morning as well. This will be our last, uh, well, the plan right now, last sermon on worship for a little bit, uh, kind of getting us through our, our kickoff to the New Year theme of Let Us Worship. And, uh, and this is a, uh, a, something that's near and dear to my heart, something that's kind of been on my mind, especially when we came to this idea of the theme for this year being worship or let us worship. And, uh, and we'll look here in Malachi at the idea of weariness in worship. Weariness in worship. A lot of times, um, modern-day Christianity falls into this category, weariness in worship, meaning um, just a failure to worship with the right attitude, with the way that God desires for us to worship. And we've looked at the last two weeks a little bit more, the idea of what is worship and those kinds of things as well. So if you missed any of that, I encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes, those uh, sermons, although I think the Vision Day sermon didn't get recorded, uh, but last week's did. Uh, but we're in Malachi 1, start in verse number 6. Malachi 1, verse number 6. It says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? His response is, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath, been, uh, this hath been by your means. Will he regard about your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, speaking of his name, uh, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen." This morning, I want us to focus in on the weariness. He's in verse 13, right? It says, Behold, what a weariness is it. I want to look at the weariness in worship. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we look at your word and as we kind of conclude our, our three-week thoughts on our vision for this, this year. Lord, I pray that you would help me to present these verses clearly and correctly. I pray that we would uh, today be encouraged, be motivated, be challenged 
uh, to throw off the weariness in our worship and to worship the way you desire for us to, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We see here in this passage, uh, the conversation is talking to priests. In verse number 6, it says, As a son honoreth uh, uh, his father, and a servant his master, if then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests. So he's talking to the priests in this situation. Now we know the New Testament tells us that we as Christians are a royal priesthood. Uh, we are to bring daily sacrifices to God, not in the way they did in the Old Testament. We're not sacrificing animals uh, and things like that, but we are to bring daily sacrifices to God. And we should do it with some enthusiasm, with some excitement, uh, not with weariness. This morning, how was your temperament about coming to church? <laughs> was it, oh, i got to go to church today. Now listen, I've been there, right? I'm not saying that we're not, we're not ever there, but how often is that your temperament about going to church? Uh, how was your, your attitude today when you looked outside and saw it was raining and you had to think about, okay, I've got to get dressed, I've got to get in the car, I've got to drive, I've got to get out of the car, I've got to go sit uh, in the pew, I've got to go listen to that guy just go on and on and on for a while, and eventually I'll make it back home. Uh, is that your temperament? Well, you know, that is what weariness is in worship today. Where we come to this, this, um, this, this checklist, right? I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. And if I do those things, well, at least God will be happy with me. We've talked about it. That's not a, uh, a worship that God desires. Right, God wants you to be excited, enthusiastic about worship. Now, some of our personalities are not that of, uh, of enthusiasm, right? Uh, there are some people, you remember our, our missionary, the Overtons, um, Tori, the wife, she is energetic. Like, in my opinion, overly energetic. Where I just want to be like, calm down, right? Too happy, too early in the morning. No one should be that happy at that time. You know, all those kinds of things. And then there are other people who are just, you know, almost eeyore Esque, you know who Eeyore is? He's a donkey, he's on Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Eeyore-esque in their temperament, where everything is just, oh, I'm here. God desires for our worship to have some enthusiasm. Now, granted, uh, in, in our world of independent Baptists, we're not known for enthusiasm, right? We are, we are not known for that. There was a man uh, who had missed church for about a month, and the pastor went, and, and met with them, and he said, uh, he said, hey, we've missed you, you know, we sure, we sure enjoy having you in the church, and we miss you being there, and the guy said, man, it's just raining every week, every single Sunday, rains, 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 and the pastor said, well, you know, it's dry in the church, and the man said, well, that's another reason I don't come, it's, you get it too, it's too dry, there's no, there's no excitement, there's nothing going on uh, in the church as well, and so we get into this, this, this worship that has no joy in it. We come for the purpose of worship, but there's just no joy behind it. There's no enthusiasm. There's no excitement. It is very weary of us. And listen, I get it, right? There are, there are days, there are weeks where, man, it's just, it just beats you down, beats you down, beats you down, and, you, and you're just, it's successful that you've made it to church, right? You walk through the doors and you think, it is a miracle that I am here. I understand that. 
But is God worthy of a little bit of enthusiasm? Yeah. Is God worthy of proper worship? Yes, he is. And so we have to come and and throw aside the weariness. We can be weary physically and still worship God in our hearts enthusiastically. We see a a couple of different things, though, that, that I want us to learn from this passage today. Number one, in order for us to avoid the weariness in worship, we need to recognize the nature of God. Recognize the nature of God. And we've talked a lot about this over the years, about the more that we know about God, the more motivated we'll be to obey God. And I think the same is true with worship. The more I understand who God is and what God's nature is, the more I will be enthusiastically worshiping Him. Because, again, He is worthy. When we look at the nature of God and recognizing the nature of God, we have to understand that God is our Father. And fathers are to be honored. It says there in verse number 6, he says, A son honoreth his father. And they skip the next phrase, If then I be a father, where is mine honor? Do you take God seriously? A father is supposed to be honored. Good or bad doesn't matter. God says a father is supposed to, to receive some sort of honor from his children. Right, the Bible says in Ephesians, children, obey your parents. But it also says, honor your father and mother. And so the idea of a father is supposed to be honored. We look at the nature of God and understand that he is our father. We have to understand that he deserves and is warranted our honor. But not only is God our father, God is also our master. And it says there in verse number 6, a servant his master. So a, a son honoreth his father, a servant honoreth his master. If I be a father, where's my honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Now this word fear, again, has the idea of a reverence. Uh, it is a respect to a degree. And so God being not only our father, but our master. Remember, we are bought with a price. If you're a Christian today... You have been bought with a price. Christ's blood purchased you. So we are a servant to God. God is our master. Now, we've looked at this in other sermons. We're not going to get into it deeply today. But he's not a bad master. He is not the kind that mistreats. and and, and He is a master that provides for and cares for and takes care of uh, you as his servant. But we are a servant. He is our master. Therefore, masters deserve fear or reverence or respect. Society does not fear God. You say, well, how do you know that, pastor? (laughs) Just look, right? We all understand that. Society doesn't fear God. They don't care what God has to say. They don't care what God's guidelines are. They don't care what God has done for them. But our master, being a Christian, God being our master, he deserves our fear. Uh, An old preacher, Adrian Rogers, said, Fear of God is love on its knees. Fear of God is love on its knees. When I love God enough to fear him, to reverence him, remember the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
is this understanding that without fear of God, we really can't accomplish what God desires for us to accomplish. If we don't have the proper fear, and I relate it to a son and a dad, although there's some differences to some degree in this as well, because there were times, well, I guess it's the same thing, where when I did wrong, I feared my dad. I had the kind of home where mom said, when your dad gets home, and that was not a good thing. Right, I understood. Now listen, my mom was not afraid to punish me. She did punish me. But there were times where she said, when your dad gets home, and then you had to wait for three or four hours with the anticipation of dad coming home, having a long day at work, and the first thing he hears when he comes in is, your son, (laughs) Uh uh-oh, that's not good. And so there was a fear. In disobedience, there was a fear. In obedience, it was a proper fear. I obeyed because I had a reverence and respect for my dad. And the same is true with God to a a much larger scale. Understanding who God is, recognizing the nature of God, knowing that he's our father and he deserves to be honored, that he's our master and he deserves fear. But not only recognizing the nature of God will keep us from weariness in worship, Number two, and we'll spend most of our time here today, we'll look at a third point as well, but number two, reverence the name of God. Reverence the name of God. In verse 6, in the last part of the verse, he says, um, and ye say, where?" Or I'm sorry, uh, a little bit further up than that. So after he goes through the master and the father, so saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Verse number 11 says, For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. It shall be offered unto my name. A pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts, but ye have profaned it. My name is supposed to be great. It is great among the heathen. It is great among the Gentiles. But you have profaned my name. How can we despise God's name? The the easiest way we can despise God's name is through half-hearted worship. Through half-hearted worship. Is God deserving? Is Is he worthy of our worship? Yes. We talked a little bit last week. What is worship? Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is ultimately worship. All of everything I have given to God. And it says here the the importance here of of not despising the name of God. And we do that through half-hearted worship. Look in verse number 7. He says, you offer, they ask at the end of verse 6, how? Wherein have we despised thy name? Which, if you've ever been around a wise person, and they said you've done something, and you don't know what they're talking about, and you say, what are you talking about? And then they tell you, and you're like, oh, (laughs) oops, yeah. They're asking, well, we despise thy name. And he says, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And then you ask, wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse 8, and if ye offer blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If ye offer lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor, will he be pleased with thee? We see this 
worthless sacrifices. Hold your place here in Malachi, uh, if you will, and let's turn back to Leviticus and kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in the Bible, Leviticus, uh, and let's go to chapter 22, Leviticus 22. Now, again, we're not offering these literal sacrifices anymore, but this is a, it, all of this is a picture for us in today's time as well. Leviticus 22, looking, starting in verse number 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows, and for all his freewill offerings, that they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. Now he's going to go into explaining what is an acceptable or unacceptable sacrifice. He says in verse number 19, Ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves or beef, uh, of the sheep or of the goats. So you have options, cows, goats, sheep, but a male without blemish. Verse 20, But whatsoever hath blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. What is a blemish? We're going to get to that in just a second. I think generally we understand that, but we're going to look at it here in just a second. Verse 21, Whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a freewill offering in beeves or beef or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Now look in verse 22, Blind or broken or maimed or having a win or scurvy or scabbed, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of, of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Uh, either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous or lacking in his parts, that mayest thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall ye make any offering thereof in your land. So we understand this, right? God says when you come... To give your offerings, it should be a male without blemish. It should be something that is sacrificed. Because the maimed, the bruised, the broken, they are no good to the person giving the sacrifice. As a matter of fact, it's them going, hey, I need to get rid of this somehow. Oh, I'll just sacrifice it to God. It's no loss to them. It's already been lost. But a perfect or without blemish Male, that has a lot of purpose, right? It is without any spot, it's without disease, it was without broken bones, it was without markings and bruises and all those kinds of things. And listen, I grew up around horses, and uh, I mean, most of the horses we had, we had a hundred of them, most of them had some sort of marking on them. Because we have barbed wire fences and they'd scratch, you know, scratch their necks against the barbed wire fence or scratch their rear ends against the tree or scratch whatever uh, or then playing and all these different things that would happen, they'd get little, little marks on them. So a male without blemish was a hard thing to come across, I would assume, although maybe barbed wire wasn't around, but I would assume there were still some issues with that. And so you're talking about a male without blemish, that is a, a perfect sacrifice. It is something that no one necessarily wanted to get rid of, so it was a sacrifice. They were losing something. Remember, the sacrifices were used as a picture of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, the one who gave himself for us on the cross. 
He was a lamb without blemish. And so the sacrifice that God is calling for, and in Malachi, if you go back to Malachi, and he's saying there in verse number 8, if you offer blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer lame and sick, is it not evil? He's saying you're supposed to be offering without blemish. And a blind lamb is not without blemish. A lame or sick lamb is not without blemish. And he says there uh, in, in, uh, uh, in verse number 8, Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with it? That's an interesting topic, is it not? Uh, you wouldn't offer it to an important person, so why do you offer it to God? I am a person who was raised to respect the office of the president. And I admit, it's been hard <laughs> over the last several years. But I was always taught the president is important. And so when you talk about the president, you don't just use his last name. It is president whoever. And you don't speak disrespectfully of the president. You don't, uh, um, you don't mock and chide and those kinds of things. He is the president. He's important. And so if today I had the opportunity to meet the president, I would not go in sweatpants and a t-shirt. I would go in a suit and, and, and a, probably a tie. I would not go before the president with my hair all over the place. I would try to look nice and presentable. <laughs> you see, oftentimes, if we were to meet someone important, whether it's the president, the governor, somebody else that you feel is important, whoever it is, you're going to try to look presentable. You're going to try to be presentable. If you said, uh, the, you know, you're going to meet the, the president, uh, you should bring a gift. You know, I wouldn't just go grab something in my house. I had a, a Christmas party at work. We were supposed to bring a gift. I found something in my house that had not been opened yet, that I've had for a while, wrapped it up and took it to work. I wouldn't have done that for the president. Now, what would have I gotten him? I have no idea. Probably not going to happen, so I don't have to worry about it. But I would try to come up with something good, needless to say. And so he says, you would offer these blind sacrifices or these uh, lame and sick sacrifices to God, but try doing that to your governor. How, how would he receive it? And the reality was is they wouldn't have done that to the governor, but they were doing that to God. Give your best to God. You know, excuses for not obeying God with your finances. We don't talk a lot about this at our church. God's provided for our church. He's been very gracious to us, very good to us. God, there are principles and lessons in the Bible about tithing, the importance of tithing, giving to God. The excuses you use for not tithing don't work with the IRS. Right? If you say, well, it's been hard. The IRS doesn't go, oh, oh, no problem. Don't pay your taxes. <laughs> right, right? The difference, the biggest difference between the IRS and God is God provides for you. And he says, in your obedience, I will continue to provide for you. And if you don't obey God, you're going to continue to have the struggles 
But the reality is, is we don't look at the government. We might talk bad about the government. We might talk down about the IRS. We might say it's stupid. Why are we doing this? All those kinds of things. Maybe you do, but you still pay your taxes because if you don't, something bad will happen. Yet with God, we make excuses, and this is why I can't do what God wants me to do. How do you think my wife would feel if I came home with a brand new dress for her that I got for $10 at Goodwill, and then I went out to the suit shop and got me a $500 suit? Now, I could argue... Uh, you also bought a chicken coop, dear. Uh, <laughs> but it wouldn't go over too well, would it? Here is $10 I spent on you. Here is $500 I spent on me. For the record, I don't pay $500 for suits. That's too much. Clearance, you can get a jacket for $49, get a whole suit for about $120. Simple stuff. But anyways, it wouldn't go over well. Yet with God, we try to be cheap with him. And we try to deny him what he is worthy of. Not just financially speaking, spiritually speaking, we're cheap with God. We don't give him our best. We don't give him our time. We don't give him our obedience. We come in weary in worship. Even though he is worthy, he is the only thing worthy. Yet he's the one that we push aside. And when we do that, that half-hearted worship, we despise the name of God. I told you this before, but I'll tell it again. When I grew up, we had a program called Awanas in our church, and we'd go every Wednesday night, and we'd do Bible memorization and play games and different things. And every year we would do a canned food drive and bring in canned foods for that. So every year when it was that time, uh, me and my sister would start going through the cupboard to grab some canned items to take with us. And I would always try to grab the cream of mushroom soup because I didn't like cream of mushroom soup. I would never grab the chicken noodle soup, which, by the way, the most basic Campbell's chicken noodle soup is still the best there is. And I would never grab that. Cream of mushroom is what I'd grab. And before I'd walk out the door, my mom would say, what are you taking? And I'd say, I got three cans of cream of mushroom soup. And she'd say, go grab some chicken noodle. Well, Mom, I, I like the chicken noodle. She says, I know. Put the cream of mushroom back. You see, I was wanting to give away something that was of no sacrifice to me. Something that meant nothing to me. Was that really giving? The reality is, is if a 10-year-old Vince didn't like cream of mushroom soup. The 10-year-old who was receiving it probably didn't like it either. You see, it's of a half-hearted gift. Give your best. Don't give cream of mushroom soup. Unless you love cream of mushroom soup, then by all means. Exodus 22:31 has this idea. Uh, I'm going to turn there. You don't have to. You can if you want to. Exodus 22:31. It says, and you shall be holy men unto me, neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of the beast in the field. You shall cast it to the dogs. And so here is the, the uh, understanding, and he's talking about different things and, 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 and moral and religious things here. 
but he's telling them, if you come across a, an animal that's already dead, he's already been uh, um, eaten on by some wild animals and things like that, don't eat it. So that is for the dogs. Cast it to the dogs. Give it to the dogs. Don't give your dog food to God. Don't give the things that are supposed to be cast out to God. Don't give the things that are meaningless to you to God. There was a lady at the uh, grocery store, and she came with cans of dog food, and the guy at the register just trying to be nice and have some conversation said, what kind of dog do you have? And she goes, oh, I don't have a dog. And he goes, well, why are you buying dog food? She said, it's for my husband. He said, what? She goes, yeah, it's for my husband. He goes, what do you mean? She goes, oh, it's, it's kind of like corn hash. You know, it just kind of goes together. He likes it, so I feed it to him. And the guy said, well, that's not very nice. Why would you feed your husband dog food? She said, he likes it. What's the big deal? She came in one day, and she didn't get any dog food. And the man at the register goes, doesn't like the dog food anymore? She goes, no, he died. She goes, oh, it's not what you think. He was chasing a car in the street and got hit. Nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, don't, don't give dog food to God. He's worthy of so much more. We come in with this half-hearted worship where we come and, and we don't give God what he's worthy. We don't give of our best. We come in half-hearted, weary in worship, and we just give him whatever we feel like. But he's worthy of so much more. That when we do that, we despise the name of Jesus. God's name can be defiled by our sacrifice, by what we're coming with, our worship. Verse 11, the rising of the sun, even the going down in the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered unto, uh, unto my name, and pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts, but ye have profaned it. And that you say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. And it says there in verse number 13, And ye said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. I'm just tired of it. And when we come to that mindset, we despise and defile the name of Jesus. What is the name of Jesus? What's embodied in the name of Jesus a couple quick verses for you. Number one, salvation. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other, the name, uh, none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus brings forth salvation. The name of Jesus brings forth worship. Matthew 18.20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The name of Jesus brings authority. Colossians 3.17 And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The name of Jesus brings forth prayer. John 15.16 That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he shall give it you. Say, well, what does it matter if we defile or despise the name of Jesus? Well, it matters a lot because there's a lot embodied in the name of Jesus. If we don't want to be weary in worship, we have to recognize the nature of God and we have to reverence the name of God. Recognize the nature of God, reverence the name of God. And lastly today, we have to respect the nobility of God. 
Respect the nobility of God. Verse number 14. But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. He says to someone who has that perfect sacrifice in their flock, yet doesn't give that. Isn't that where we often are? We have the sacrifice and the worship that God is worthy of, but we don't offer that. Whether it be that we come in too stuck on ourselves, too focused on what we think we're worthy of, too focused on our situation in life, too focused on uh, the trials we're going through, too focused on uh, all these other things that go on in our lives that we come to worship God. We don't give him what he's worthy of. We don't give him what he's deserving. We have the ability to, we just don't do it. There's a preacher who wanted things done around the church. The church building had kind of been run down a little bit. There were a lot of projects that needed to be done. And a lot of times, uh, in smaller churches especially, it's hard to get people on board with fixing some things up because of the finances and the different things like that. And so the preacher told his people one Sunday, he said, I got notice today that the President of the United States wants to come worship at our church next week. He said, so here are some things I'd like us to do to fix up the building, to get it all ready for the President to come. And the people started getting excited about it and and began talking about how they could help and the things that they could do. And as everybody was excited to fix the church up, he then told them the president is not coming. Why are we so happy to take care of this place if the president were going to come and not willing to take care of it when we have the purpose of worshiping God here? I've seen churches like this. I'm thankful ours is not this way. But we get in this mindset again where we're, we'll respect people. We'll reverence people. We'll lift up people. But when it comes to God, we don't put any mind into it whatsoever. Is this just a building? At the end of the day, yes, it is. But, you know, God gave it to us. And he gave it to us for a purpose, to use it for worship. We should take care of it. We should care about it. We should pick up our candy wrappers and our empty water bottles. We should be aware of of what's going on. Because although it's just the building, the church is the people, I agree. Although it's just the building, God gave it to us for a purpose. And we should respect God enough to take care of it. In our own lives, though, we have to ask ourselves, am I weary in my worship, or am I giving God what he deserves? Because, again, God and God alone is worthy. Listen, the president, because of his position, is worthy of a certain amount of respect. Your boss, because of his position is, or her position, is is deserving of a certain amount of respect. But God is worthy. Worthy of the respect that we should give Him. 
Our president isn't always worthy of it. Our boss is not always worthy of it. God is. And when you come for the purpose of worship, do you come ready to worship? Do you come with an unblemished sacrifice? Do you come willing to put aside everything else in your life and take some time to focus on God and with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, worship God? The average Christian does not. The average Christian is always about what does it benefit me? Well, I'm tired, so I'm not going to go. What would it benefit me to go? Pastor's boring anyhow. What does it matter? Well, that means you went for the wrong purpose. Right? We have all these complaints, which is normal. We have all these complaints about, well, if I was the one in charge, here's how I would do it. You know, I didn't like those songs. I didn't like that message. I don't like that person. Whatever it may be. So how does it benefit me? Listen, if you come ready to worship, I promise it will benefit you. But it can't be about you. That's what makes us weary. Because I'm never satisfied. And neither are you. I don't come here, I'm not supposed to come here because of you. I'm not supposed to come here because of me. I'm supposed to come here to learn more about God, to draw closer to God, and to offer forth my worship to God. And yet, so many times I walk through the doors half-heartedly and don't give God what he's worthy of. How about you? Are you weary in worship? Church becomes this cyclical event in life where every Sunday I go or every Sunday and Wednesday I go, whatever it may be, and we just come in with zero thought, with zero effort, and we feel like we're fine because we were there. God is worthy of so much more than your attendance. He's worthy of your worship. I don't blame you for being weary. I understand how things go. Health, work, family, whatever it may be. There's a lot of things that weigh on our heart and mind. And sometimes we walk into a church building and we see people and we just think, hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, we all are. I don't come for the hypocrites. I come because God is worthy. And I don't worship for the hypocrites. I worship because God is worthy. And it all comes back to here, right? How's our heart? Is it willing to worship God? Is it willing to take the unblemished sacrifice? to lay before him and say, God, you're worthy of this. Do you worship God wholeheartedly or half-heartedly? 
And the answer may not be the same every week, right? But I encourage you, and you need God's help to do this, but I encourage you when you walk through the doors, and again, this is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a church thing. You're supposed to worship God every day in your own life and, and, and how God desires for you to do so. But when you walk into church on a Sunday, would you just take a moment before you come through the door and pray and say, God, clear my heart, clear my mind. God, forgive me of these thoughts that I have. God, help me to focus in. God, help me to worship you today. God, help me to wholeheartedly put my energy and my focus on you today that, God, I can draw closer to you because you are worthy. But as I told you before, worship it doesn't happen on accident. You have to purpose it in your heart that I'm going to worship. And let's try to do it with some enthusiasm and some joy. Because God's worthy of that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you.